Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Me and Alice are house-sitting for the Richards which is a deep joy. The Richards have a a very, very nice home. And um, we had some friends around on Thursday night to drink the Richards wine with us. And and after we'd had dinner, we went upstairs to their living room. You know you're posh when you have a living room upstairs, don't you? Uh, We went upstairs to the living room and we were um, sitting and chatting and I started to hear a kind of thumping downstairs. I thought, oh no, the Richards are being burgled. Then I realized it wasn't my house and it wasn't my laptop, so I ignored the thumping. Uh, uh, But the noise and the rubble kept on going on and on and on, so I decided to do uh, the brave and the masculine thing, to go downstairs and to confront the burglar of the Richards' house. Uh, I went uh, down the stairs, and I didn't find a man in a balaclava with a sack, but instead I found their cat, Boots. Now, Boots is... um, Me and Boots... We don't always, we have kind of a love-hate relationship. I've made myself responsible for the welfare of Boots while we're living uh, in the house, but I'm not a huge fan of Boots, but, but I found Boots uh, running uh, around the Richards hallway, and eventually uh, Boots the cat stopped and stared at Alice's rucksack. Alice's rucksack was propped up against the wall, and he kept on going left and right and left and right and left and right, kind of prowling the rucksack. That's when I realized Boots had cornered something behind the rucksack. Now, at that moment, me and Boots locked eyes and we entered into a solemn vow. See, I'm not a big fan of Boots. I don't really like Boots, but but what I like even less are mice in the house. So I said, Boots, look, here's the deal. You kill the mouse, I'll make sure you stay fed for our next 10 days living in this place. And me and Boots locked eyes and we had a deal. And so I said, Boots, on the count of three, I'm going to lift the rucksack and you're going to get the mouse. So three, two, one. I lift the rucksack. 
The mouse goes right, Boots goes left. He's not very good at catching mice, it turns out. But eventually, Boots cottoned on to what was happening, and he ran into their downstairs living room. Again, that's how you know you're posh, a downstairs and an upstairs living room. Boots ran into the downstairs living room and started prowling along the back of the piano. Eventually, the mouse ran out from around the piano, into the hallway, and into the Boots' cupboard. The cupboard full of boots, which is where Boots obviously is going to find. And Boots dove headlong into the shoe cupboard and he grabbed the mouse in his mouth. And he slowly pulled his head back and wandered into the middle of the hallway. And I thought, Boots, I might not like you, but I can grow to respect you. (laughs) I thought, Boots, you've killed the mouse. There's one less mouse in this house. And then Boots dropped the dead mouse and the mouse ran away. (laughs) I realized me and Boots had made a promise, we'd made a deal that Boots had absolutely no interest in keeping. Boots played the same game with the mouse again and again and again until I lost interest and we went back upstairs. Uh, Me and Boots had entered into a, a promise and a deal and I thought the promise was different to the one that Boots thought we'd made. I think Boots thought that we made a promise about Boots just playing a nice game and entertaining himself for five minutes, but I'd, I'd made a promise that this mouse wouldn't eat any of our foods. Boots was uh, entering into a different promise. You see, sometimes we can uh, enter into a promise with God, and we think that God is promising something that he's not. Sometimes we can think that uh, when we get into a relationship with God, that he's promised that life will always be safe that life will always be comfortable, that things will always go exactly like we want them to go. God's main concern for us, God hasn't promised us our comfort. He hasn't promised us our happiness, our safety or our security, but God has promised us something completely different. Uh, Tonight we are uh, looking at giving thanks because Jesus always keeps his promises. Jesus has made promises to you and to me, and he keeps every single one of them. But tonight, do you know what the promise is that God is making to you and to me? It's not about our life being comfortable. It's not about our life getting better and better and better day on day on day that you and me might become richer and more successful and happier. That's not the promise that God is making to us. God has promised that he will love you and me deeply that he will love us deeply, but that as he loves us, that love changes us and it transforms us and it means that you and me live differently as a result. And that changed life, that transformed life isn't more comfortable, it isn't happier, it isn't safer or more secure, but, but actually following Jesus makes our lives much, much more difficult a lot of the time, much, much more costly. Uh, Luke uh, begins this uh, gospel in the first two chapters, and he starts to set the scene for what's going to come. Uh, Luke talks about uh, John the Baptist being born, and then John the Baptist prophesies uh, the birth of Jesus, and then Jesus is presented in the temple, and then we get to our passage today where Mary's going to be purified. And over the first two chapters, um, Luke is uh, setting the scene, but he's also dropping hints. And he's saying that uh, the way that you think things are, the way you think this story is going to go, isn't actually what's going to happen here. Uh, Luke talks uh, about uh, Roman emperors, about um, power and royalty. He talks about uh, angels declaring from on high the birth of a new Messiah. Uh, And in the same breath, he talks 
about poverty and he talks about children being born in sheds and vulnerability and fragility. He talks about uh, glory and he talks about suffering. He talks about life and death and uh, everything in between. And, uh, and Luke, uh, on the one hand, talks about uh, all of this glory and majesty and splendor and on the other talks about the grit and the grime of life, about things being difficult. And the whole time, Luke's saying that this Savior, this Messiah, that this is Jesus. He is going to come and he's going to change everything, but that it's not going to look quite like you think it's going to look. It's not going to pan out quite like you and me think that it should. Sometimes we come with all of our expectations and we think Jesus should make our lives easier and more comfortable and safer and more secure. But tonight, rather than talk about that, I want to ask you, have you let Jesus make your life more difficult? Have you let following Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, make your life more difficult? It's because God has promised that he will love you and he will love me. But the way that God's loved us is problematic. You see, because scripture talks about uh, Jesus giving up his place in heaven about uh, him uh, stepping away from uh, the throne uh, he has in heaven, away from all of the comfort, away from all the splendor, uh, away from uh, being side by side with the f- and coming down into our world, into the grit and the grime of life, into the place where things are difficult. And if we read the life story of Jesus, we see that uh, Jesus found life really difficult that things didn't get better and better and better day on day on day for Jesus, but, but Jesus was persecuted, he was rejected, he was shunned. And eventually, at the end of it all, Jesus dies. He suffers, he's crucified, and, and then he rises again in glory. But, but if we follow Jesus, that's the love that we've been loved with. And as uh, we love Jesus, we receive that love, we're called to live out that love that God has shown for us. Uh, God wasn't pursuing Uh, his own comfort, his own safety, his own security, but instead expressing his love for us. Uh, As his followers, we're called to express that sacrificial love to the people around us. Uh, We're called to put uh, their needs and their best and their own agenda uh, ahead of our own. And that doesn't make our life more comfortable. It doesn't make things more secure. It doesn't guarantee that things will always get better and better and better day on day, but, but it means that life might just become more difficult and more costly for you and me as we live like Jesus is calling us to live. Our passage tonight uh, begins with Mary being presented uh, in the temple for her uh, ritual purification. Uh, Within the Jewish faith, uh, a woman was uh, unclean for the first 40 days after she'd given birth to a boy. Uh, And Mary is coming at the end of those 40 days uh, for her ritual purification. Uh, And the the purification rite that's happening here is mentioned uh, in Leviticus 12. And it says this, it says, When the day of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring the priest the entrance to the tent of meeting, a year-old lamb for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will become clean. Mary and Joseph are poor. Mary and Joseph live in poverty. Luke really wants us to know that. He talks about Jesus being born in a shed, and then he talks about the kind of offering that Mary and Joseph bring for Mary's purification. 
Uh, rather than bring the expensive offering of a lamb, uh, Mary brings uh, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Uh, she brings the cheapest, the most inexpensive offering uh, available to her because she can't afford to bring anything else. Jesus, the savior of the world, wasn't born in Morningside. He wasn't born in the posh bit of Edinburgh. His parents couldn't buy him a new bike. They couldn't pay his school fees. Jesus was born in the dodgy bit of Edinburgh, in a dodgy council estate, in a dodgy house. His parents couldn't afford even the most basic things. They were poor. Luke wants us to know that. Jesus, the savior of the world, wasn't born into a rich, wealthy, privileged family, but he came right in at the place where life is the most difficult and it's the hardest. You see, again, Luke is subverting our expectations. We come and we expect uh, Jesus to be born into uh, privilege and power and success, and instead Jesus is born into fragility, into the places where life is difficult and it's hard. Uh, And the passage goes on to say, uh, now there was a, a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon was an old man, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is about Israel becoming a nation again, about the people of Israel stopping being repressed by the Roman Empire, about them becoming a defined country, a defined state. And Simeon's been promised that he's going to uh, meet the child, uh, meet the one uh, who's going to be the saviour of Israel. And so uh, Simeon has waited and waited and waited and waited, uh, faithfully waiting for God to keep the promise that he's made to him. Uh, And Simeon hasn't given up hope. Uh, Even though Simeon's been waiting for a long time, Simeon has continued to wait faithfully. Uh, Maybe you feel like you're waiting for God to do something. Like maybe he's forgotten about you or or put you to one side. Uh, Take the example of Simeon tonight and know that when God promises, he always comes good on his word. Uh, And so Simeon is uh, prompted one day by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. uh, And while he's there, he sees uh, a young woman called Mary and a young man called Joseph. uh, And at once he realizes that this is the child. Uh, And he uh, takes Jesus in his arms and he prays these words over him. He says, Sovereign Lord, uh, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, uh, which have been prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is prophesying that Jesus uh, is the light by which everyone will see God, the light for the Gentiles to see God. Uh, A Gentile is anyone who's born outside of uh, Israel, outside of the Jewish faith. So Simeon is prophesying that Jesus is the light by which people like you and me can come to know Jesus. Uh, That you and me, uh, because of Jesus, can know the truth of who God is. Simeon's saying that this person, this baby in my arms, is the way that people will enter into relationship with God. Uh, And then he says, and this is the glory of Israel. It's the glory of Israel that uh, out of that nation, God would bring the saviour of the whole world. Uh, God hasn't forgotten about Israel. He's not put them to one side or discarded them or ignored them or uh, rejected them. But but out of that nation, out of that people, God would bring the saviour of the whole world. 
God would bring the saviour of the whole world, not just of the Jewish people, not just of the Roman Empire, but of the whole world for all time. Uh, As uh, Simeon prophesies, God's speaking and he's reminding Israel that uh, this isn't just about one nation and one state and land and borders, but God is doing something much bigger and much broader in it. That God is uh, bringing about the return of his family. God isn't uh, building a nation, but he's bringing about the return of his family. Uh, That's what uh, Simeon prophesies. And as Simeon uh, holds Jesus in his arm, uh, he continues to to prophesy and pray. Uh, And he says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, uh, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul. Mary and Joseph marveled at the first part of Simeon's prayer, at the thought that uh, their child, their son, would be the light by which everyone would see God, that he would be the the saviour that everyone had been waiting for. They marveled at that, and then Simeon turns to one side and it feels a little bit like Simeon goes off script again. And he says things that are much more difficult and much more challenging. He says, people are going to rise and people are going to fall because of this child. And actually, this child is going to reveal what's really in people's hearts. Jesus is going to be the litmus test for deciding what's in people's hearts. Sometimes we, we want to pretend like we can just sit in the vague middle ground with Jesus. And like uh, we can just think that Jesus is uh, a decent guy, like uh, he says some nice things, and we can kind of have Jesus as an additional extra to our lives, as a nice kind of lifestyle improver. And then Simeon says, Jesus will cause the rising or the falling. With Jesus, there is no middle ground. Because God's love for us was so costly and it calls us to live such different, such transformed lives that there is no casual middle ground anymore in relationship with God. Uh, There is no sitting on the fence. There is no uh, ambiguity. Simeon says this uh, Jesus is going to cause the rising and the falling of many that uh, by people's decision to follow him or not to follow him, that will be the revealer of what's on their hearts. Jesus isn't leaving uh, the middle ground open, but instead he's saying, if you're in relationship with me, then that's going to mean something. That's the deciding factor. Uh, And then uh, Simeon says that uh, it's going to be like a a sword that pierces Mary's soul. That uh, this child is going to cause Mary unimaginable pain. This child will cause Mary unimaginable pain. Uh, She'll see her little boy uh, grow up and be rejected by people. Uh, That he's going to be uh, persecuted. He's going to be rejected. People are going to speak badly against him. He'll be a sign that's spoken against. Uh, He'll be a sign that's spoken against. And then uh, eventually he'll be so rejected by society, so plotted against, so betrayed, that she'll have to watch her own son die on a cross. And as she watches him, she'll know that Jesus could do something about it. She'll know that Jesus could get down, Jesus could change something, but that 
that he won't, that he'll choose to be there and to hang there. And the pain of watching her own son die will be like a sword that pierces her soul, that pierces the love of a mother, uh, her care and her concern for her son. See, following Jesus is costly and it's painful and it doesn't make life easier. It means that uh, we make decisions that other people will find difficult that they might uh, speak against. Uh, It means that uh, rather than uh, just go along with what uh, everyone else is saying and thinking and doing, that we need to learn uh, to live in a different way. Uh, God is announcing that uh, even though Jesus is coming for all, uh, even though Jesus is coming so that all could know him, so that he'll be uh, a light for the Gentiles and for the glory of Israel, that people will choose not uh, to follow him. Uh, Jesus will bring division because uh, either we believe in him or we don't. Uh, Jesus is uh, eradicating the middle ground. It's too difficult. It's too hard to follow uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is being announced uh, here as a, a new king, but not a, a king as you or me uh, would know, but as a king who suffers. Uh, we're used to seeing uh, in the news or in the media uh, someone with power Uh, use their power and their authority to make their life as easy and as comfortable as possible. Uh, Whether that's um, avoiding paying all their tax or avoiding particular situations or or living in a a big house and gaining lots and lots of material wealth, we're used to seeing people with power uh, insulate themselves so that life is safer and more comfortable. Uh, But the kind of king that Jesus is and the kind of kingdom that's being announced uh, sees Jesus uh, leave his power, leave his authority, uh, and instead come and suffer and struggle. Uh, Instead, uh, live a life that sees him rejected. Uh, Jesus isn't the kind of king that sits far away on a throne, but that comes close uh, into the difficult parts of life. Uh, He comes uh, and he struggles and he suffers. Jesus wasn't uh, worried about his own comforts. He wasn't uh, worried about making himself more safe, more secure. Uh, He wasn't worried about looking more impressive so that he could gain uh, as big a crowd as possible. Uh, If Jesus wasn't uh, worried about any of those things for himself, uh, why would we assume that his primary concern for our lives would be uh, our own comfort? would be uh, how far up the career ladder we feel like we're able to get, how much extra status we feel like uh, we're able to accrue and to acquire. Uh, God's primary concern for us isn't our success. It's not our happiness. Uh, It's uh, about God loving us and knowing us and caring for each of us. Uh, Jesus said, he said, "'Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master.'" If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus is saying that if you want to follow me, that's going to make life difficult for you. That's going to make your life harder, not easier. And yet sometimes we think that the promise that Jesus has made uh, to each of us is about God making our life more comfortable, more secure, and more successful. But they're not the things that God prioritizes for our lives. God instead wants us to know how deeply loved we've been by him, how much he cares for us, and to allow that love to change and to transform the way that we live. And as we're changed and as we're transformed, we start to put God's plan ahead of our own. We start to put God's agenda ahead of our own. And it stops being about us and our own ability and our own success, and it starts to be about demonstrating God's love to the people around us. 
As a church community, uh, over the last three years, I've seen people do this uh, in exceptional ways. I've seen people um, speak up for their faith in their work, their family, uh, at school, at university, uh, in ways that are uh, brave and daring and courageous. I've heard stories about um, people deciding to uh, adopt or to foster uh, children who are uh, so moved by God's care for uh, the lost and the vulnerable in this world that they want to do something about that. I've heard stories of people um, praying bravely for friends and for family uh, day after day after day and year after year. I've heard stories about people uh, feeding homeless and vulnerable and marginalized people because they recognize that following Jesus isn't about making your life more comfortable, but it's about demonstrating God's love and his care and his concern and his compassion to the people around us. So as you follow Jesus, are you allowing that walk with him to make your life more difficult? Are you making hard and costly decisions? As me and Alice go to Liverpool, we think that we um, might be making life a bit more difficult for ourselves. Uh, we're going to a, uh, a church in a, a different context to here. Uh, it's in a um, uh, kind of inner city, Liverpool. Uh, it's a place with lots and lots of social need. And rather than everyone coming from all over the city, everyone comes from the local area there. And there's uh, lots of social need and issues uh, going on. And the church there is really uh, involved in their local context. Uh, we think our life might be about to get a bit more difficult and a bit scarier and a bit harder in some places. But we don't want to get to our mid-60s and think that we could have played it a bit more adventurously, that we could have taken uh, a few more risks, uh, that we could have uh, lived a bit more boldly and a bit more daringly. I wonder, what are you doing? What's the decision that you're making that's making your life just a bit more difficult? Maybe you feel like uh, God is uh, leading you to have a conversation with someone, uh, and that feels difficult and challenging to you. Uh, maybe there's a relationship that's gone wrong, and you feel like uh, God is leading you to bring about uh, reconciliation and healing in that place. Uh, maybe you've been uh, moved by an issue of uh, social injustice. Uh, maybe it's adoption, maybe it's foster care, maybe it's vulnerable children, maybe it's uh, the homeless and the marginalized, maybe it's uh, issues like people trafficking. Uh, what is it? Uh, what are you uh, doing that's making your life more difficult as you faithfully follow the call of God to love the people around you? Uh, and as we do that, as we step out into that, uh, Jesus promises that he goes with us. Not that he makes life easier or weighs a magic wand and makes everything go away, but that he goes with us faithfully into those places, that we might know his love uh, for us and for the people around us. Amen.